0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Solo Powered Podcast with me, Arianna Dunn. This is a podcast that celebrates doing things solo, whether that be solo travel, solo business, solo journey to parenthood, single by choice, solo pursuits of passion or solo adventures. Remember, this is not about living a lonely life. This is about living the most full life on your terms. So on this week's episode, I'm so excited to have what I can only describe as a queen of someone who has gone solo. Um, My hope is with this podcast is that we inspire people to know that they don't need to have someone holding their hand or a big company behind them in order for them to be successful. They can forge their own path if they have talent Passion and a belief in themselves, which this person has in spades. I'm so thrilled and excited to have the incredible Louise McSherry in studio to talk to us about how she left RTE and became one of Ireland's most successful podcasters with her incredible weekly podcast, Catch Up with Louise McSherry. She is someone who blazes the trail in so many different ways. And uh, as someone who works with Irish Country magazine, she was one of our most talked about cover stars with her fantastic, beautiful... Uh, cover that we had uh, earlier this year Um, she is an incredibly inspiring woman and I'm so excited to hear her journey and to have her here on solo pirate Louise McShane thank you for coming on thank you that was quite an introduction (laughs) I appreciate it I was like is that true we'll see (laughs) it's absolutely true thank you Um, but yeah so talk to us about obviously you know you you do talk about your journey from RTE to where you are. You left in 2021. Uh, yeah. Um, so talk to us about sort of your journey before that, how you got into broadcasting. I know you went to UCD and everything um, and you worked in News Talk and then, you know, started working for for. RTE, the big the big Irish broadcasting company. Talk Yeah, about that.
1: well, I get. I guess first of all, just to clarify from the get go, I always feel like let. I did. I mean, did I leave? Technically, it wasn't my choice. No, so I always want to be very clear about that. Yeah, I, I make no kind of pretense about the circumstances of me finishing up in an yeah. RTE, and I think it's important because you know I don't think it would do anyone. F- Any favors if I was to pretend like you know it was my choice it wasn't my choice but we'll get there so yeah um, I started out I think as a teenager I always thought oh I'd quite like to do something in radio my uncle did a little bit of work in radio and occasionally I would help him kind of figure out what he was going to talk about he filled in on various shows and worked as a producer sometimes Um, and and had. shows on pirate radio back when that was kind of your only option um and I always thought oh maybe I'd like to do that but I also kind of thought that's not a real job that people get to do you know (laughs) it was a bit like I also wanted to be like an Oscar winning actor and that didn't (laughs) feel very realistic (laughs) either and I kind of had them in the same category um and then I went to UCD after I finished school and I got involved in the student radio station there and kind of straight away felt like oh, this is, this is it for me. Like, Mm -hmm. this is what I want. The first time I sat in front of a microphone was during a test broadcast Mm -hmm. for the station. So the way college licenses work is you get a temporary license for like two, I think it's like two weeks in, at the time for for this radio station anyway Belfield FM it was i think it was 2 weeks in September and then 2 weeks later in the year and and that was it so you'd have a few days before your official broadcast started to test the frequency and make sure that everything was kind of coming through okay and as a first year obviously that was really my only opportunity to get on air so i volunteered to do as many hours of that you know as they wanted and it just came really naturally to me and i remember um at the time the station manager of Belfield FM was this guy called Dave Sherry who I believe still works in Orti. I haven't seen him in a while, but I, I went on to kind of bump into him in Orti. He was doing really well for himself. But his mom at the time said to him and he passed it on to me that she was like, she's a natural. Mm. And that for me was like, oh my God, any bit of affirmation. I was like, I'm not crazy. Like I, you know, I, I think I am good at this. Mm. Um, so from then on, radio was kind of my main focus. College was Didn't suit me. I now know I had ADHD, have ADHD. um, And I found the transition from, you know, the structure of school to an arts degree in ucd where things are quite unstructured and you're in massive lectures and i felt like i'd missed a memo on like how everything worked and i never really got the hang of it and instead just spent all of my time in the radio station and in dramsock and then obviously didn't pass first year didn't sit my exams actually (laughs) went to college every day by the way so as far as my parents were concerned i was going to college and learning but no i was going to college to do other things um and then yeah after first year obviously that was the end of it for me Um, But you were learning.
0: I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, and I suppose it's, you know, for for kids that have... ADHD for people who are neurodivergent it's like we don't have to necessarily fit the mold of yeah. like what the academia deems is important with regards to learning but you were actually going in finding a passion yeah going in every day and learning something that you were naturally good at
1: yeah I mean my parents certainly didn't see it that way at the time and I don't think I even really saw it that way at the time but but that <laughs> is what happened <laughs> no, but it's, I mean it's true with hindsight it's true like yeah. if I hadn't gone to UCD and I hadn't had that experience in the student radio station I I don't know what I have pursued radio, honestly, Um, because the tiny little bit of confidence that it gave me made me believe that I could do it if I just got the right opportunity. So, you know, it was a difficult time for me because I had been very successful academically, really, up until that point. So I kind of couldn't understand why I was failing, you know, to kind of adjust to college. Now it all makes sense, Mm. you know, 22 years later. But at the time, it was it was pretty tough. And my parents were not happy when they found out that I you know what had been going on but anyway i i so i left or was finished in college and started working in extra vision at the time as like an assistant manager um but but applying to radio stations all the time um and then i was a volunteer for the special olympics in 2003 i think it was so 20 years ago um and when I was volunteering I volunteered in kind of the media communications area even though I had no experience like it was a chance in my arm but really all you were doing was kind of greeting journalists and helping them with anything that they needed in the venue you were in and through that I met a girl who had done some work in news talk and she said um this is the the email address of the guy who's in charge and you know email him you might be able to get some work experience and so I emailed him and he emailed me back and said look I've I think he said I have stacks of CVs on my desk, and you know, but yours is a little bit interesting because at least you have some experience in UCD, um, and I don't know what came over me because this is so not me. But I replied and I was like, "Well, if you take me on, you won't regret it." <laughs> um, and I that and honestly, that was that was it. I got work experience. I started doing. It was supposed to be three weeks work experience, and um, I ended up doing work experience from for about nine months and then after the nine months I started getting basically I made myself indispensable is what I did mm. I came in every day beyond the three weeks ending and then after about six months I went on holidays and they were like who are we going to get to fill in for Louise and I said just to remind you I'm actually here on work experience so if you need someone to fill in for me I'm clearly contributing something valuable oh. and maybe you should take me a little bit more seriously do not know where I got all this confidence by the <laughs> way because I would really struggle with that stuff now but um but they were like yeah okay you have a point point." and so I started to get freelance shifts and then eventually I got a full-time contract working in
0: production as a researcher and then a a producer wow see i did tell you she was inspirational at the top (laughs) of it um but it's so you know look it's 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 the word that i kept hearing there during all of that was volunteering and the kind of the words that you were sort of say you volunteered at the ucd radio station Mm. you know you gave you as much hours of your time as you could you volunteered at this with the work experience so really it's about putting yourself out there which is again you know a big premise of what this podcast is about is just yeah. you know being brave enough to kind of say you know what this is something that I want to do and that I yeah. want to go after and having that sort of belief in yourself and the bolshiness
1: yeah to do it and I mean the thing is like I have obviously subsequently worked with lots of people who've come in and work experience in various radio stations and stuff and I think what I had was I had a genuine interest mm-hmm. I re- really wanted to be there and I had cop on. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think if you're copped on and you want to be there in any industry, mm-hmm. you've already skipped loads of steps mm-hmm. because a lot of the time people come in and they're not really that artist or it seems like they're not really that artist and you know, they're not really thinking or trying. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they can end up being almost more, more, of a responsibility than a help, you know, mm-hmm. and so I think I, I I was up for working really hard because I really wanted to be there. Like mm-hmm. I remember, genuinely not wanting to go home, you know. Like I I I was doing at one stage the the business news uh, or no the the stock report the shares report <laughs> on the business show because they needed someone to do that regularly and I knew nothing but like I learned enough to be able to do it because that was my little bit of on air experience at that time and 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 you know if there was a breaking news story I mean there was nowhere better to be like I loved it so much I was working in news talk during um you know some really significant historical events at the time there was lots of stuff going on with al-qaeda and beheadings and there would the um, tsunami happened while I was there and um I think the pope died while I was there like and I remember these massive news events and just feeling like I don't want to be anywhere else, this is the most exciting thing. excuse me, in the entire world. Um, And at the time I was working on, uh, originally I was working on the breakfast show. So I would go in, my dad was always an early riser and went to work early. So he would drop me into work at half five. I would stay there until about 12 or half 12. And then we would walk across town from Warrington Place to Dorset Street, where I worked in the afternoons doing admin in a college that my uncle was working in um, until about 6 p.m. So they were long days but I was so happy because I just loved what I was doing yeah and I was lucky that I made enough money in that afternoon job to kind of keep me going but also that I was able to live at home at the time so I didn't have rent or you know it's a lot harder financially now I think
0: yeah I mean it's some it's amazing look you know people often talk about motivation and how do we motivate ourselves to do work or to do things but you know as you said those those walking across town working in the afternoon working those long hours but then you follow it up with because I loved what I did and I think you know like if you love it and you're passionate about it and you're good at it, naturally good. at And this is what I, as a coach, work with my clients on is when they've been stuck in this dead end job that they've hated for 20 years. that I'm always saying, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? Yeah. And what's the kind of life that you want to lead? You know, yeah. um, because, you know, we will sacrifice money in order for us to be able to do the things that we love to Mm -hmm. do but then having the faith and the knowledge that if we work hard enough at it then the money will come as a consequence of that and we will be rewarded eventually for the work that we do
1: and look there were loads of advantages to that situation at that time it was a new radio station it was a startup so so many of my colleagues were young yeah we all socialized together so my social life obviously suffered a lot with my other friends because you know I might go to the cinema I would fall asleep immediately like I was exhausted all the time but I had this built-in social life and work which I loved we were all equally passionate about what we were doing you know we were such a little tiny little underdog and yet we saw ourselves competing with like you know RT Radio 1 and it was very exciting um and I, I had the energy to do it then, you know, mm. because I was 20 when mm. I started. Mm. Um, so it was a very particular time in my life, but I wouldn't change it for anything. I mean, I, I always say I think it was the best education I could possibly have gotten mm. because, you know, when you're in a small, relatively small station, you know, under resourced compared to the bigger stations, you know, it's all hands on deck all the time. There's mm. no limit to what you might be asked to do. Mm. Um, and that means you're constantly testing yourself and learning. And I, I personally do not believe that there's any... Anything I could have learned in college that I didn't learn on the job in Yes yeah, talk,
0: hundred percent. But I like listening to you talk. I went to ballyfermit, so I studied for three years general media and ballyfermit. Mm. We did radio, TV, script writing, mm. um, print, digital, all that kind of stuff. Like a long time ago, before digital was even digital, but. Um, I feel like listening to you that maybe an environment like a ballet firm it may have suited you better than Absolutely. a kind of environment yeah. and I think it just goes to show you know for anyone that's listening to this it's not to say that you know university the, uh, you know, the university of life is obviously one of the best things but sometimes it's just about finding the right environment yeah. for you to, 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 like, to, 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 to thrive in at the time I don't even
1: know how the Leaving Cert works now because I'm 105 and I d- <laughs> my kids aren't old enough yet but like at the time that I did the Leaving Cert you filled in two categories on your CAO forum. One side was like universities and the other side was kind of ITs and I don't even think they're called ITs anymore. But um so I at the end of the day had two choices and I could have gone to do arts and UCD, which is obviously what I did, or I could have gone to do audiovisual communications in, in Tala. Mm. I one million percent should have gone on that course. Yeah. I think I would have had an amazing time, yeah. and I subsequently met people who came into news talk from that course. And um, actually, two two a, a set of twins who have become I- incredibly successful um, since then in the BBC and in RT and in lots of other places. Um, and they had a great time, and and I would have had a great time, and yeah. I think I would have made great friends, and it definitely would have been the better choice for me. Yeah. But I chose UCD because. I chose UCD because my parents had gone there and had had an amazing time and I was really craving like social success yeah. is what I really wanted at the time that I was choosing, you know, which course I would go on. And I kind of thought I might get that through UCD. And actually the truth was I made friends in UCD, don't get me wrong, but I was still, I was so kind of unsure of myself and insecure that I was never going to really be successful until I figured out who I was you sure. know so that wasn't going to come until years later anyway so yes that course would have been a much better choice yeah. for me yeah yeah
0: I just feel sometimes <clears throat> that's the smaller environment I mean like yeah. I was I was so you know striking a chord with me by going in every day I used to go in every day as well but the majority of time would be sitting in the canteen you know it, eating popcorn and just having the crack oh yeah I did a lot of that, <laughs> lot of that. Figure out <laughs> out in the courtyard and yeah. everything which is mad to think about that now but pre-smoking ban or whatever yeah um but just uh, while we're on the topic of work experience just it reminded me I, st- I started out working experience in Kiss magazine years mm. ago right with the baby sister to Stellar and I remember Susan Vasquez the editor at the time asking me to do some freelance work and um, to try and create an article about up-and-coming Irish women and she said we're thinking along the lines of Cecilia Hearn but I know you probably won't get her. Cecilia had just come out with PS I Love You. Bertie Hearn was still the Shock in Ireland. I was, was working in Newstock deal. at that time I remember really? that time yeah and I was like okay so I went about you know my day and uh, ended up meeting a friend for drinks that night in Café and went down to the toilet and who was beside me washing her hands only cecilia no way so i turned to her and i actually i didn't turn to her i waited till she left the toilet and <laughs> she went outside and went came up the stairs and went straight outside to go get a taxi and i ran out after her and i just tapped her on the shoulder and i said cecilia my name ariana and my editor just messaged me today asking me to interview you and she was like oh my god no problem here's my publicist yeah, details so lovely, yeah. and she was my first cover so she was on the cover of wow. kiss magazine and that was when i was still a student in student in. college and but that like that that Power that experience, yeah. that fun, that excitement that comes with that just seizing an opportunity, yeah. you know, really feeling like a journalist, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, was just you know, and it really, really exciting time yeah. as well. So, um, we we just literally had a girl from work ex- on work experience this week finish up with Irish Country Magazine. Uh, we came out on Tuesday, and it was her first time ever seeing her her words in print, oh, her name in print, her picture, great and you know, her granny and her mom and her aunties and her uncles. Yeah. wrong and I gave her a big hug and I said like, this is such a big moment for you you know you'll yeah. never forget the first time that that happens yeah um so I think it is you know really pertinent that we've been talking about this you know this early part of your career because it really does shape the career that you then go on to have, and yeah, it shapes the love and the passion that you have for what you oh, do. Oh, yeah,
1: I love those those news talk days. And without them, actually, nothing that happened subsequently would have happened. Like, I I got a little bit burned out in news talk. I worked there for, oh God, I'm really bad at timelines, but, um, a good few years, like I think five or six years, um eventually as, like, a staff member and, and working on different programs. And the last show I worked on was pretty intense. Long hours and just a pretty intense working environment. And I kind of got to the point where I was exhausted. So I, I ended up getting a job in TV for just a year, one season of a television program. and that uh, But it wasn't for me. Uh, like, it just... It, the the program that I was working on TV in general in my experience is a, a much more the long game um, and I'm someone who works really well with short deadlines which makes sense now that I know my ADHD so like the pressure of like you need to get six items for this show every day and sometimes you need to get an item in 20 minutes you know I, I loved that like mm-hmm. I thrived in that kind of high pressure whereas you have three weeks to work on this idea just didn't work for me I couldn't you know I couldn't get motivated and I don't think I did a particularly good job working on that show. Show. I had great ideas, but like I just <laughs> didn't know what to do with the time. Um so I ended up back in News Talk then and then um someone I was working with, uh, the the chief executive of News Talk at that time started, had gotten a, a license to build a new radio station for young people in the um Northwest iRadio, which was initially one radio station just for that part of the country, and kind of asked me if I wanted to join him and his business partner in in getting that going
0: how old were you at that point
1: uh i was 24 i think so it must have been only four years i was in news talk felt like longer Um, i think i was about 24 25 maybe um yeah and it was uh, again like an incredible experience building a station from the ground up like you know interviewing people hiring people um Uh, we we also in that time went for a second license in the northeast and i was involved in preparing and presenting that to at oral hearing the the kind of process to get a radio license in ireland is quite involved and quite intense and i was involved in that from start to finish which was amazing um you know again I learned so so much um and then that's actually where my presenting career ended up starting Mm. um and that was through doing tests test broadcasts with people who we thought might work in a team Mm. um and we needed someone to do kind of you know, test, test runs with them to see what they were like with the second person. And, um, and then we had this consultant working with us who was like, actually, I think we should use Louise. Wow. Yeah. And that was kind of a big, a big moment for me decision wise, because I had always wanted to be on air, but I also was really enjoying not being like, I was enjoying the behind the scenes and I had a management role within this organization. And, um, you know, so to, to get, to say goodbye to that management role and then take ultimately like a much more risky role as a presenter was a big a big shout but I felt like I would regret it if I didn't give it a go and I'm I'm really glad that I did Mm.
0: and I mean no doubt it's because of the wonderful radio voice that you have I mean you know you do have such a beautiful voice a lovely accent that is really intriguing it's like where is it from oh i get a lot of <laughs> shit over that accent yeah. let me tell you. I never
1: stop explaining my accent I, so i lived in chicago for 10 years yeah. from 7 to almost 17 so that's where the accent comes from and yeah. um, but some people think i just watch too much friends and
0: that's fine. Um. <laughs> that's okay too yeah? yeah um but yeah so you know no no doubt it was be- because of this this beautiful radio voice that you have but also just The temperament and the personality that you have, which I think really comes across through the yes. airwaves and, and through the podcast as well subsequently but um, so so you're so you're on radio how are you finding it being a presenter at this early stage I'm experience?
1: enjoying it um, I did the breakfast show in iRadio um, at the time there were two radio stations well initially it was just the one radio station then two and then um, I was presenting the breakfast show initially with someone else then on my own for a long time and then with a second person again um, I was also producing it uh, I was a one woman
0: operation for a long time yeah. um, which was really tough yeah and um, I in college had to use those radio boards and still have not got a clue how any of them. <laughs> <laughs> well the desk, they were terrifying that was me. fine but like I had to I had to
1: get all the content every day like yeah. I mean genuinely when I say I was a one-woman operation it was just me and I you know yeah I don't think that's actually right or appropriate and I think in many ways I was kind of taken advantage of the fact that I had a production background because I was ostensibly doing the job of three people mm. as one person um mm. and it was it was tough and um, but it was also fun and mm. you know I was young and I was having a great time I finally kind of found my people I felt like it, when I moved to Galway and like really found myself um or started to find myself I think I'm still on that journey um, But yeah, it was a really good time, but it was exhausting as well. Um,
0: I think just on that as well, when you're so capable and when you're so able and when you're so someone who is willing to put your hand up and say, yeah, I can do this because I was the same. I mean, our our trajectories are similar, but mine was in the publishing world. So I was in the Daily Mail and I was creating supplements and features. I was making 40 page supplements by myself creating all the content editing them yeah. selling all the advertising into them and they were being published with the sunday newspaper you know without even so much as the editor even looking at them i yeah. could have written expletives all over them and no one would have known yeah. right um and i remember going to the head offices over in the uk and for some training and they were like so how many people are on your team i was like no no it's just just, just me, me. <laughs> and they're like couldn't comprehend it you know yeah. but um but i think it was because it was that sort of being that person who's like i'm able i'm capable i can do this whereas in hindsight we now know that what we should have been saying is yes i'm capable i'm able but But that doesn't mean i should be doing it on my own exactly exactly
1: yeah and you know it was a particular it was a tough time like um at that time the dynamics for me within the station weren't great um I'm the kind of person who I'm all in, obviously, which is why I was doing what I was doing. But I also like to understand um, processes Mm. and I like to feel part of the organization. I don't just care about my bit. I care about every bit. Um, And that isn't always taken in the way that it's intended. Mm. And, you know, I had a reputation there for being a troublemaker and I was kind of taken to task over this, you know, more than once. I did subsequently get apologies um, mm. over some of those interactions. Um, but I found it quite frustrating to be working so hard and to care so much and to kind of have that be seen sometimes as a negative mm. was tricky for me. Um, and, I, and it had a big impact, I think, on the way that I approached things as I got older um, and as I moved on in my career. Because what ended up happening was shortly after we were granted the second license, um, their, the recession hit. Mm. And obviously the mm. Rs fell out of advertising And mm. we all know what that was like Anybody who was working in media mm. at the time um, And there was a round of redundancies And I was one of the first people made redundant right. Mm. And it was really tough because the way that they did it, you know, obviously organizations have to do these things very with very strict kind of criteria and organization in order to protect themselves. And mm. um, so what they did was they got someone in from external an external organization and they came up with a like a criteria and you were given points based on certain criteria. And um, then based on the points, they made decisions about who yeah. they were going to let go. But there were things, I mean, the list, I remember just being like, this is wild. Like, one of the things you could get points for was being a stand-up comedian. One of the things <laughs> you could get points for was doing DJ gigs at nighttime. time. Um, and I was like, well, I'm on air at half five wow. every day, Monday to Friday. So how am I doing DJ gigs? Um, you know, there was stuff on there that was just wild. And I remember feeling like I'd been set up to fail, mm, you know. Mm-hmm. And it really... Really hurt me because I, as I say, I had been involved in that organization from the beginning. You know, I think I was the, at the time that I started, there were the two people who had started the business themselves. Um, And then there was, I think there were two other people, maybe one. So I was either the fourth or the fifth person to be involved. And I mean, I I did things like made phone calls about bins, like where do we get bins for <laughs> for our new office, you know. So then to to find out in a in a meeting with a stranger that you know you're done, and and to not really be communicated with, mm. you know, bit in a way foreshadow- that I felt bit was of foreshadowing appropriate. there
0: as well, huh? yes. for what was to happen to in years to come. But I mean, it's a it's 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 you know giving me steve jobs vibes (laughs) you know it's it's that whole kind of thing of like being involved with something creating Mm. something you know and like i see it all the time again you know with my coaching clients when people get made redundant their whole sense of identity is so wrapped up in what they do and yeah um you know it's very very difficult for them to sort of separate what they do with who they are massively
1: Um, because i've been doing it since i was 20 yeah you know, and at this stage I was 27, I think, something like that, Um, so, you know, for seven years I'd been achieving, 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 and then all of a sudden I wasn't, Mm -hmm. and I found it incredibly difficult, Mm -hmm. like, I think, like, you know, there was a year where I spent almost every day in bed, you know, I really... And it wasn't that I was like in bed crying every day. I just couldn't get motivated. I was applying for jobs. And for the most part, I wasn't hearing back. We were in the middle of the recession. Mm. I actually quite quickly started getting slots into FM, Mm. but there was no consistency to it. um, And I wasn't earning enough to live on, you know, Mm. so I was doing bits of like temping and stuff like that. But it was, it was really difficult. Mm. Definitely hit me really hard. Mm. I learned so much from it Mm. but it did hit me really hard
0: it's difficult because when you're in an industry where there are really only a handful of opportunities Mm -hmm. um you know each radio station has you know x amount of shows and there are only x amount of presenters and the presenters hold on to those thoughts with their dear life. right? Yeah. And well, like, I remember a
1: couple of years ago being so like, hard. I need someone to die or retire.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like that's it. And even yeah. then, you know, I maybe won't. Yeah. Get which which you know isn't the, the you know does happen in other jobs and in other industries and in other corporates, but not to this extent because it yeah. is such a small pool. And you know, having gone to you know Bally I know a lot of people who've been successful in the media industry, mm. and you know each each sector of the industry had its own difficulties Yeah, um, you know it, those who were journalists in print were like print is dying it's dead and along yeah. uh, hey, comes digital and then sub editors were being let go and there was just a squeeze on everything within yeah. within industry and you know but yeah from a radio perspective and particularly from an Irish radio perspective you know There are certain names, the Ian Dempsey's and the Ryan Tumperty's and the Pat Kennys of this world, which have just been around for so long and are so sort of intertwined with radio. And then you have these new people coming along, which is just this... This world of kind of like uncertainty for a yeah. lot of those people, and yeah. y- and this is where you find yourself. And I'm sorry that you were so, you know, caught up by this. You know, for for a whole year, it's really difficult to find yeah. your way out of that.
1: Well, as I say, I did learn a lot, you know, and and what I learned was you can't just have one gig and yes. I think anyone working in media knows that now you can't have one pot on to boil yeah. like because anything can go at any given moment yeah. if you're working for other people and yeah. um, and so I never wanted to find myself in a situation again where I didn't have anything going on yeah so Is that this was what you were looking at this being
0: like stand-up comedian <laughs> DJ night well a little <laughs> bit
1: yeah a little bit um and, you know, it that was definitely really good for me to learn that lesson. Yeah. And I have never since only had one job yes. you know
0: yeah yeah this is it multi-hyphenism and this is the way moving forward you know be. it has to be yeah. and you know i have a, a coaching client at the moment who's wanting to leave her job she's got a very steady kind of civil service job and she wants to leave and i just keep sort of saying to her you know like how many different things can you do like yes you've this this with this one area but let's look at all the ways you can make money and yeah. even if it's airbnb at your spare room like yeah. that's a revenue stream that yeah. is going to contribute you know so it's about thinking it. Th- and there are so many ways of making money yeah. these days right so it's just about how do you utilize as much as your talents as possible yeah. to, to to do what you want to do so you utilize your talent so you got these gigs into into fm so yeah so t- take us to rt so yeah i started out um filling in i would mostly fill in at the
1: time there was an early breakfast show which was on from six to seven in the morning and i filled in on that and filled in on some shows in the weekend and then i got a stint um zig and zag a show <laughs> oh, at the oh, weekend and zig and zag were finishing and there was a new show starting <laughs> i want to say it was lucy and Baz. it doesn't really matter there was like 10 weeks i think in between two shows wow. and they asked me to do that so i did that and um, then there was another change in the weekend schedule and so they asked me to fill in their um for a while I think I'm getting all of these names wrong so take them with a pinch of salt but anyway there was a there was a a a new show starting and they weren't sure what they were going to do so they asked me to fill in while they figured it out and that went on for I think two years oh
0: my gosh
1: Um. so for those two years I did every Saturday and Sunday morning seven to ten but it was never my show and I couldn't settle into it because I didn't know month to month whether I'd be doing it and so I ended up taking another job and working in, um, daily edge or IP, which was part of the journal. And mm. so I would be there Monday to Friday mm. and then Saturday and Sunday morning, I was on the radio wow. seven to 10 and wow. then I'd go I to. back to work on Monday. Wow. And I did that for, I think two years. Wow. Um, and it was a really frustrating thing because literally they would tell me every month, this is it now. And then they'd come back to me and I'd do another month. Um, and because I never felt like I could really make it my own, it was just kind of like, mm-hmm. I mean, it was grand and I enjoyed it. And I definitely developed a bit of an audience, but I couldn't fully go for it because every month I was being told it was the end. Mm. So that was kind of tricky. But
0: And do you feel like your confidence, because you know from the bolshie girl who at the start was sort of saying you know hire me you oh, yeah. regret it being made redundant and on all of that sort of that confidence gets shattered a little Big bit time. to give you not be able to sort of stand up for yourself in massively yeah.
1: massively like in that time when I was unemployed and when I was doing filling in stuff I went and started retraining as a psychotherapist because wow. I was like my media career is over wow. like I really felt like I just don't have it you know mm-hmm. um so I did two years of that course. So I actually have a diploma in psychotherapy. Wow. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I'm really glad. That definitely is, was not the right course for me. I'm glad I did it. Like all of th- those skills really stand to me, I think. But yeah, so I ended up doing that for a couple of years. And then um, then <laughs> we got a new person in charge of 2FM who was the person that I had worked with in iRadio, who was the person who I had worked with in News Talk. Wow. Um, yeah I had one boss basically for almost 18 years or for almost 19 years yeah um and he arrived in and he wanted to make a splash and he knew that I was capable so he gave me a couple of opportunities um he gave me the opportunity to fill in for Ryan Tuberty for three Mm -hmm. weeks which was like huge and crazy Mm -hmm. Because no one knew who I was. Wow. Like no one in the organization knew who I was. I had never been there Monday to Friday. I hadn't met anybody. I'd never had a producer the whole time I was doing that weekend program or wow. filling in. So I had been working literally there. I had been there for, I think at that stage, about three years I'd been doing shows. Wow. But I didn't know anyone and no one knew who I was. So when I was announced <clears throat> as the fill-in for Ryan Toberty, the biggest show on the station, everybody was like, what the f- like, who is this person? <laughs> and I knew I could do it. I had no doubt about my ability. Yeah. Like I knew I could do it, but I also knew that nobody thought I could. Yeah. And I remember I, I said, I need to have a meeting with the producers because I need to sell myself to them. And going into a meeting with two very senior uh, producers in 2FM and saying, look, immediately, I know this is nuts. I know you don't know me. And I know you're probably very concerned, but I promise you I can do this. Yeah. And then saying, here are my ideas about what we can do. And by the end of the meeting, I had them. I knew it. Like yeah. I knew I had them and they they could see that I could do it. And I did it and it was really well reviewed and it went really well. And then I ended up getting a show, uh, which ended up, initially I was told it was a talk show, but ended up being a music show. And um, eight to 10, Sunday to Thursday. I did that for a long time. I think I think like seven or eight years I might have that wrong I'm really bad on timelines don't take anything I'm saying on timelines as the gospel I'm absolutely terrible at estimating time but it was a long time anyway um and also filled in for Ryan a good bit in that time um and filled in when in the gap in between um what was what was on in that mid-morning slot before Jen Zamparelli I can't Nikki and Jenny Nikki, right. Nikki Byrne and Jenny yes. so when Nikki Byrne and Jenny finished up there before Jen started I did 11 weeks there wow. like I did I did loads of different stuff and then finally toward the end of the the long period of doing the new music show I was like I had been I've been banging my head Against the wall and banging on the doors of offices and begging people to listen to me for that entire time because I'd never wanted to do a music show. Like, I I love music, but it wasn't my focus. I really wanted to do talk radio. And, and I, you know, various promises or whatever had been made along the way and they just had never come to fruition. And then I got to the point where I said, Look, I'm going to leave because Mm -hmm. I'm not happy. And, i finally had an aha moment of like yeah so i had been banging my head against the doors and begging for a talk opportunity and then finally i had an aha moment where i realized that like i could leave i would probably have to work a lot harder um you know to make the same money i'm making here not that i was making like astronomical money but like i'll have to lean into writing i'll have to lean into you know these bits and pieces that i was doing because as i say i I never had one job after after the first time um and you know I went and asked for meetings with managers around the organization um Adrian Lynch who's just been named the new deputy director general was one of those people and um I think he liked me and he from what I heard and this is all hearsay but from what I heard he kind of said I think we need to find something for her okay. Um, and so I was given my show that I did for the final two years of me being in RTE which was which ended up being two years of the pandemic um, or just under two years of the pandemic. I started the show uh, at the start of February 2020 Jesus. and then we went into the pandemic and I did that show with two two brilliant team members um, for, for the pandemic.
0: Wow. And you know, like, But it feels so weird because you're such a recognisable name in the world of broadcasting that you only had that show for two years. I mean,
1: well, I'd been on, obviously, for the previous eight years. But what I'd been doing that entire time was I just felt like I felt kind of invisible in there. I'd had that immediate burst of opportunity when um, my boss had come in. um, And, you know. I'm trying to be diplomatic here. I think I was useful at that time to say hey I know stuff like this girl's good I I spotted her you didn't spot her I Mm, spotted her mm. you know and then once he'd made a splash I think I was less useful Mm. um and obviously there's loads of people to think about and there's lots of different things and you know I just wasn't being thought about I mean honestly I felt completely invisible there and and so I at the time was like if I do loads of stuff outside of work um outside of ortee you know eventually ortee will see that i'm valuable Mm. if i just build myself an audience eventually ortee will say she's got this whole audience that she could bring to us Mm. and so i was working hard to build my instagram i was writing i wrote a book i made a documentary when i got sick with my cancer like i did i was working really hard to try and get things going all with the aim of eventually ortee recognizing that i had value Mm. Um, and that just never happened you know
0: how do you think do you know, do you ever know how Ryan Jeopardy felt about this complete unknown kind of filling in from her for him?
1: I, I don't really, but he called me he? before I started um, and he was really kind yes. and he said he wished me luck and he said, I just wanted you to have my number. So if you need anything, you can call me. And I didn't really know at the time what he meant. Um, and I never used it sometimes I wonder should I yeah. <laughs> should I have wrong and gone I don't know what to do here yeah. um, but he was so kind and really supportive um, but I think as well as a presenter when someone's filling in for you you never want them to be that good yeah, you know what exactly. I mean
0: <laughs> you want them to be good enough that, but like, it must have been so strange for him to be like I'm going off for three weeks and then you know here, yeah. here. I mean I, I was on his show at the beginning of the year talking about my solo year abroad and he was absolutely lovely and, yeah. and, and from that kind of this podcast was born I suppose yeah. because I got so much lovely feedback from yeah. that that lovely um interview and and it's very strange I mean I rarely rarely watch the late late show but I have such memories of you being on the late, late show yeah. talking about your cancer for yeah. some reason it's one of those interviews that really just stood out to me um mm-hmm and you know how brave you were and and you know how how empathetic and sympathetic i suppose ryan was with you with you yeah. sitting on that couch i mean you know it was it was a fantastically inspiring interview i mm. mean you know like do you want to touch on that time of you know
1: yeah i mean that was a crazy time um because i was sick for a long time before i was diagnosed and actually um when i was diagnosed Ryan was on holidays and I was covering for him. And I'd been covering for a few weeks and it was getting to the end of those few weeks and I had at that point I was seeing a consultant every week because they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I'd been for 6 months I'd been seeing doctors and they'd been trying to figure out what was wrong with me and um I re- I was on the bus on my way home from Morty one day after doing Ryan's show and I was supposed to be going on holidays I think 2 days later. Um, so I was finishing up covering Ryan's holidays and I was supposed to be going on holidays. And I remember just thinking, I can't go. I'm so sick. Wow. And I had been really in denial up until that point about how sick I was. And at my previous appointment, one of the men, one of the doctors on my consultant's team had given me her phone number and said, call me if things get bad, kind mm. of. And I called her and I was because I was waiting for a scan. And I was in the public system and she said, I, you're going to have to come in. Yeah. And And I had to ring work and be like, I'm not going to be able. I think it was a Thursday and I was supposed to be in the next day. I said, I'm not going to be able to do the show tomorrow. I have to go into hospital. And then I went into hospital, ended up getting all my tests. And the next week was diagnosed with stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma. So it's all like really tightly wrapped up in my mind. Mm. All of this stuff, you know. And I have to say, I was treated so well by Orti and specifically my boss mm. he really went above and beyond to make sure that I was taken care of that I didn't have to worry about work that I was supported and um, and I will always acknowledge mm. that like you know the support that I got from him and from the organization at that time was incredible mm. really incredible
0: it just it you know it's it strikes me though you know again you know from 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 the as I said, a similar trajectory uh, for for you and I uh, suffered burnout, and I've talked about this before. And and I you know had burnout in two thousand and um, sixteen. I ended up taking time out, took six months out, and went mm. to South France and all that kind of thing. From from overworking, from yeah. kind of taking on too much responsibility. And I think when you are a strong, capable, able woman. Um, and I say woman because I think there is a difference between being that and a man. Mm. We we do feel like we have to work longer, work harder, and not necessarily ask for help and not necessarily yeah. put our hand up. And I think it's just an important message, you know, for for people that actually we can we can still be all of those things, yeah, but ask for help so that we don't get sick. Which you know, you literally got sick from you know, not not to <laughs> say it's from that because. Obviously cancer is just one of those things that is indiscriminatory. Yeah, and right? Hodgkin's is
1: like, you know, they say it's like you can get a cold and it can mutate. Yeah, like it's yeah, it's absolutely. completely random. Yeah.
0: But at the same time it's like, you know, even just you sort of like getting to that point of like, oh, I, I I'm going to hospital tomorrow. I'm that you know I'm yeah. going to
1: hospital now. Yeah. Like I'm I was still on the bus on my way home from work. Wow. And I was like, I actually have to go home and pack a bag and go into hospital. Like that was the situation. Um, Yeah, it was, it was intense Um, and it was tough. And I, and I really struggled with the idea of being out of work, Mm. um, you know, and, and not Producing and like having this gap this time that wasn't useful and mm. um, which is one of the reasons that I wrote a book at that time and one of the reasons that I made the documentary and mm. one of the reasons that I went on the radio and that I went on the Late Late Show because I was like I want something to show for this mm. you know if I'm going to lose out on a huge section of my career mm. now subsequently it was not a huge section of my <laughs> career like it was nine months do you know mm. what I mean mm. and like I think having also had two kids now and obviously taking breaks for maternity leave and stuff we can become really obsessed with the idea that any gap is going to be a huge problem Or huge Mm -hmm. disruption to our career. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Like time goes by so quickly and things change at a snail's pace. So Mm -hmm. usually you can step away if you need to take a break Mm -hmm. or if you need to just go and explore something else and come back relatively easily. And I think it took me a long time to learn that lesson. Mm -hmm. And I wish I'd learned it sooner. Um but yeah, it was a really intense, crazy time. But I was so lucky I had a cancer that was quite straightforward from is quite straightforward for most people I was very lucky I had a straightforward experience mm. with it um you know I did what my doctors told me to do the chemo worked I'm grand um mm. and I learned a lot from it you know I learned a lot about being a supportive friend and you know what it means to be sick and you know that yes if someone asks you to visit them in hospital they really do want you to come and visit them and mm. you know all those kinds of things um and uh yeah I feel I feel lucky in so many ways regarding that experience Mm.
0: and we feel lucky that you've come through that experience as well um like i'm i'm conscious of 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 time and we haven't even started talking about you know your incredible podcast i mean you know obviously you, you, you you went through that time you're in the pandemic and then you know as as we know happens in big organizations like this there is a cutthroat attitude when it comes to staff members and when it comes to making a decision to change things or to shake things up? Yeah, well, purposes. I mean, w- when you're
1: on air, you know that this is a thing that happens. Yeah. Like I knew I had had it happen already. I knew that it was a possibility that my time would come to an end. Um, and I, you know, I had never since that had happened to me previously ever had a time that I didn't have a plan. Um, and because of the pandemic, we weren't getting listenership figures. And um, the the JNLRs, the survey that they do, they they weren't happening, so I had no idea who was listening to the show. I was very proud of what I was doing, but I was concerned that it was a, a little bit too niche for Two FM. And um, you know, if you're in a station like Two FM, you really have to have broad appeal because at the end of the day, we are a small country. The number of people who are available to listen to, you know, is relatively small. Like you need to appeal to as many of them as possible. So you need to be kind of broad in what you make. Um, and I was doing what I wanted. Um, and one of the reasons was that I was hoping I could get across to Radio One, um, and I was. Trying trying to prove myself that was really my aim with that program as well as doing good stuff and and as it turns out trying to offer people something during the pandemic a bit of support a bit of a lift a bit of you know whatever a bit of consistency you know a bit of a change at the weekend the pandemic became very important actually during that time in terms of my work um, but about six months before the shit hit the fan, mm. I asked for a meeting with the head of Radio One because that was, that was really what I wanted was to get there. And I came away from that meeting feeling like that's not going to happen anytime soon. Like it's not maybe never going to happen, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. So you need to be thinking about your alternatives. Cause I had made a deal with myself that I wasn't going to be into FM in my forties. It was just like a, a hard boundary that I had set. Mm. I had seen, It's not necessarily an age thing, but I had seen people outgrow 2FM, but not have other options and kind of end up in situations that they weren't really happy with. And I didn't want that to happen to me. So I had started thinking about a podcast at that point Mm. um, and thinking about a life beyond RT. And then what ended up happening was um, I was taking my son for a walk one day and I got a phone call from my agent and she said, I have bad news about 2FM. They are not going to renew your contract. Mm. And at the time... I didn't, I wasn't upset on that phone call because I remember just immediately saying, okay, well, the pod, you know, the, we have the podcast because I'd been discussing it with her. Like we knew I had an idea and I was like, no problem. So that's what we need to move to focus on. And I was like, and what's the story with um, like announcing? And she said, oh, they want to follow your lead. And I said, okay. And um, I was like, okay, I'll go home and I'll, I'll think about a statement and I'll come back to you. And I did obviously then, Having a moment of upset, and like you know, it it was it came out of nowhere, there was no warning whatsoever. I still hadn't had listenership figures, so at that point, it wasn't about listenership figures, it was about something else, and I didn't know what the something else was. Mm -hmm. But like, I also kind of felt myself like it wasn't a great fit at that point. Mm -hmm. What I was doing was quite different to what everybody else was doing, so you know, I was upset as anyone would be when something comes to an end, but I was okay. And I wrote up my statement then, which I felt was very kind and fair. And I sent it to my agent and she sent it back to management. And I did think it was a bit strange that it, all of this communication had come through my agent because I had a relationship with Orty that predated my relationship with her by years. So she actually had never been involved in any communication between me and Orty up until that point. But I was like, OK, they obviously want to go official channels. That's fine. So anyway, we sent off the statement, didn't hear back. Um, I had to have a meeting that day with my team about the show that weekend. And in that meeting, some forward planning stuff came up for shows that I knew I wasn't going to be doing and that were beyond the scope of my contract. And I I had to kind of pretend and I was like, I'm really uncomfortable with this. As I said, like me and these two people had worked all the way through the pandemic together. And, you know, the relationship was intense and and important and I felt really uncomfortable about the fact that I was like pretending like I was going to be carrying on when I wasn't Mm -hmm. um and they didn't come back for a couple of days and then they came back and said we're gonna tell the team next week and you can announce next week and I was like no that's not gonna work for me because that means I have to go in this weekend I have to do more meetings with my team and I have to go in this weekend and do these shows and pretend and pretend to my team. It was my team that it, mm-hmm. it really just felt wrong to me. Mm-hmm. And it also meant that I wasn't going to be able to talk about it to really anyone mm-hmm. because I didn't want it to come out in the papers before I had a chance to say my piece. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be the person to say, you know, this is what's happening. And I just felt like the longer I let it go, if I let it go for another week, it would have been 10 days. Like definitely it would have gotten out, you know, more and more people in the organization would have known that place is like a leaky sieve. Do you know what I mean? I just knew Mm. it was going to end up in the paper. And I said, I, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to wait. Um, and I rang a friend of mine who's uh, a communications consultant. And I said, look, here's what's going on. This is my statement. I want to put it out on Friday. I was like, I can't go in and do these shows and pretend it's not right. I can't not tell anyone, mm. you know, this is quite a difficult thing to go through and I'm not willing to go through it on my own. So I want to do it even though they don't want me to. And he was like, I think you have to. Wow. He was like, if you don't, you're going to be responding to newspaper articles. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. So you need to take control of this. He was like, really what they're doing is and I don't know if this is the case, but like they need to get all their ducks in a row. And, you know, it's not about you or your narrative or, you know, you know, it's about them. Yeah. And you have to concern yourself with you now. And I said, yeah, that was that was what my gut instinct was. So I put the statement out and let's just say that did not go down well, Ariana. <laughs> that did not go down well. Um, and I have never I since walked into Radio Center. Wow. Not once. Oh, my gosh. And. Um, And, you know, it's the whole way the thing was managed was what got me. It wasn't that my contract wasn't renewed. I was okay with that. I understood that that's par for the course. But what upset me was that they didn't, I never heard, never to this day, one word. from any member of management in RTE. Mm. They didn't bring me in for a chat. They didn't make a phone call. They didn't send me a text. They didn't send me an email. Like honestly, like surely we can all agree that the appropriate thing to do would be call me in for a meeting, say, this is a tricky thing to discuss. And we're really sorry, but we're making moves in the schedule and it doesn't look like there's a space for you. So we won't be able to renew your contract. Like I am a 40 year old woman. Mm. I was 38 at the time or whatever I was I'm perfectly capable of Mm. having an adult conversation Mm. um, and and they just weren't willing to do that and you know there was no care for me whatsoever Mm. and I found it particularly frustrating because as I say you hear everything in there and I knew about efforts that had been made for male colleagues as their contracts had been coming to an end and conversations that had happened about taking care of these people they have children, they have mortgages to pay they have this, they have that I have children, Mm. I had rent to pay, Mm. I had all of those things and there was no care for me whatsoever Mm. and I can't help but feel like if I had been a man it would have been a different situation. You know who like there are two salaries in my house but who's to say who's the bigger one Mm. you know
0: and and it's very strange to me like I mean you know like I've worked in management for media organizations I know how important it is to have transparency and to have a duty of care and you know there are tricky situations and you know I've been in situations where I've had to let people go or make people redundant and it's it's harrowing and it's horrible and you you have sleepless nights over it as a management you know both before and during and after it's very very difficult but that is the job of of being being in seniority is that you you know you get into that position because you have an ability to take on those difficult situations and so it strikes me as so strange that an organization a state-run organization like RT has such poor management not only just in terms of how they dealt with you being being let go let's say in inverted commas, but also that they let you kind of like do the show for two years without kind of like letting you know um you know what you position was and you know not giving you any kind of there was security. no no it's
1: communication no yeah, commu- which is so
0: odd because it's, it's the communication company of Ireland <laughs> yeah
1: and I mean no duty of care when no. it came to the way that things ended for me and you know
0: but, but just to say Louise, I I just find it so strange because it's like they're in some sort of uh you know gilded cage right because do surely they know that we as listeners have Grown such an affiliation and a love, and you know, for me, Irish radio in particular is so like visceral for me, Mm. right? So, like, there are some people's voices that I just can't abide, you know. And as soon as they come on the radio, I'm like, nope, can't listen to that, and I have to immediately switch the channel. But there are some lists, some you know, um, radio presenters who I just absolutely love and adore for for whatever reason, and it's so individualistic, it's so different for every person as to why they like someone, why they don't and when you have an affinity to someone that runs deep right that's why there are so many like long-term radio presenters in this country because like the joe duffy fans of this world would like lay down a traffic for him right and so it's it's so odd that the people in rte the the management in rte think that they can just remove someone from the airwaves without any kind of duty of care not only for them but also for the listeners like it's a big deal to have someone that you listen to every day just removed from your life
1: well there is an attitude with some people who work within the industry that talent is not really that valuable and that you're replaceable and I was reminded of that many times in my career Um, that you're not special there's a million people who will take your job and yeah. um, you know and that attitude I think is really problematic and um, and and really unfair and you know yes obviously it's a competitive industry but I just don't think there's any need to make people feel like dirt yeah while they're working and and the thing for me about it was that the reason that I spoke about it in the end was because i just i don't want other people to to have this happen yes. when it is so easily avoidable yeah. just treat people like human beings have a conversation we are talking about one single conversation even honestly if i'd gotten a phone call or even an email or a text message from any member of management it would have been better but instead what happened was i felt like a piece of trash who had been used up and flicked away mm. and you know it was really hard for me my son my husband works in RTE as well my son is in the RTE crash I had to drive into RTE every day wow every day in the weeks following and it was I remember just being like is there a greater humiliation than this and um, it was really tough um, and I did decide to talk about it and I think I spoke about it in a relatively dignified way I didn't name any names and um, I did eventually name names because the main person (laughs) at the center of this decided to talk about me repeatedly in the press. Um, And, you know, he was just delighted because what ended up happening was the JNLF figures in that slot did go up after I left. And so he was like vindicated and like, you know, and and the thing about it was that was never the point. The issue was never... my issue was never my performance or my figures or whether or not my contract should have been renewed. That was never my issue. Mm. This happens. You outgrow places. Places outgrow you. 100%. Things change. My issue was being treated like a piece of disposable trash, yeah, yeah. and that is unacceptable. But I and that- this per- and that. This person went on then to talk about me repeatedly, like you know, at wild times, at times where it should have been a good news story for Two FM. The figures are up. He was in the paper talking about me, and mm. I was like, mate, like this makes no sense but uh, but the fact that i spoke the fact that i called it out obviously Mm. was infuriating Mm. for them
0: Mm.
1: Mm. um but i have no regrets about it and as i say and the beauty of it all was that i knew already what i was going to do the podcast idea was there i had an amazing amazing uh community supporting me the people who'd followed my work for years I still had my other bits of work going so I didn't have to be in like a mega meltdown stress about money thankfully because mm. I had those bits and pieces and um, so professionally I was fine yeah you know
0: I just think as well that you know what like what you're what we were saying about listenership figures which are so kind of in our I feel a a little bit irrelevant to the presenter because like I say when you like someone and you enjoy their their radio slot and you like their voice um you you have an affinity to them you listen to them you're loyal to them right Mm. but at the same time radio is such a circumstantial medium as mm-hmm. in i generally only really listen to the radio when i'm in my car yeah for example and i'm only really in my car in the morning or the evening or yeah. whatever right so i'm kind of like stuck with whatever breakfast radio radio show that i like the yeah. most and you know when radio presenters are just moved around schedules quite a lot and mm-hmm. they and and no thought given for actually when that fan of that presenter is actually going to be listening to the radio. So if you're moved to the weekend, as much as I would love listening to you, I probably wouldn't get to listen to you very much because I'm not... In my car at the weekends or whatever. Do you know what I mean? So, which is why, which leads us on very nicely to the podcast because I can listen to you whenever I want. Yeah. And I listen to you when I'm walking my dog, when I'm, you know, on a long drive, when I'm kind of like, you know, cleaning my house. You know what I mean? I pop the AirPods in and there you are. And I can choose you and I can choose to listen to you because I am choosing to listen to you. And like, this is where it's so exciting, you know, like just prior to coming on, I asked. Louisiana, how many downloads have you? She's like, I don't know, I don't really keep an eye on that. But to discover, then it's almost a million downloads yeah. of people who are choosing to listen to you. Is yeah, m- is hugely rewarding. I don't it know, is I think, after what you've been through. Uh,
1: yeah, massively. And like you know, there's so much I love. I'm I'm so much happier, honestly, because I really, as I say, I felt like I was banging my head against a brick wall for a long time. Um, and and there's so many benefits to my current situation. Um and the first is as you say that people people are listening in different ways now and people have a different relationship with podcasts than they do with the radio and there are so many people, which is wild to me, who are like, I never listened to you on the radio because I didn't listen to the radio. But I knew you from Instagram or I I had read your book or whatever. And now I listen every week. And so there's all these new people who are podcast listeners who aren't radio listeners. Mm. And now it, it works the other way as well. There are some people who don't listen to podcasts who listen to the radio. And like, look, do I have the the listeners that I had when I was on the radio? Absolutely not. And because obviously for a lot of people, 2FM will just be on. And it's not that they're making an active choice to listen to me. It's just the station that they have on in the kitchen or in the car or in the shop that they work in or whatever. So there were lots of accidental listens there. But what I do have is a steady group of people who are actively involved and choosing to listen to me I don't have to cater for anyone. I don't have to make content for people who aren't my people. The beauty of podcasts is you can be as niche as you want and you'll find your people. Um, And I just absolutely love it. I love that I don't have to think have I had too many women on mm. this week? Have, do we have any any men? What about this person? You know, what about that person? I don't need to worry about them because they'll go and find their own podcasts. Mm. Um, and the people who do listen are so invested and I have such an incredible relationship with them. And also, to be honest, I feel like I'm living in the future <laughs> and radio is in a moment of panic like Mm. worldwide and some places are adjusting really well and um you know figuring out what they can offer that a podcast can't or that you know whatever can't and are adjusting to the kind of the new media climate other places are scrambling and panicking and they don't know what's happening and that's a scary place to be and I don't have to be scared now
0: Mm. I
1: am totally in control I own my equipment I edit my podcasts Mm. I record them myself no one can stop me no one can turn around and say you don't get to do this anymore I own every single bit of it Mm. and that is amazing it is so wonderful and heartening and encouraging and empowering and I just can't recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously I had a huge advantage. I had an audience. Not all of that audience came with me. That's mm-hmm. fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have enough of an audience that I can sustain myself and that I can keep going on this road and I can do the kind of broadcasting that I want to do. There's so much more I want to do. So like obviously my podcast is a weekly kind of Friday catch up on everything you know there's a bit of news bit of showbiz an interview but i have loads of other podcasts like limited series that i want to do there's loads of stuff i want to do and as i build my audience with the main podcast that will facilitate doing those other pieces as well Mm -hmm. and like the world is my oyster i don't have to answer to anyone and i don't have to get anyone's permission
0: yes preach and like this is what this is what this is all about this is about solo and you know what you talked about earlier is like you know finding your tribe in the very first episode of this podcast I talked about how when you are a soloer, it doesn't mean that you're doing like that you're lonely or that you're living a lonely life but that you find your fellow tribe of fellow like-minded people who are interested in the same things as you and they will come and back you and you will be you know attracted like attracts like and you will be attracted and you know the ability to do things on your own um and know that you are capable and able and that you can make a success of things is the most rewarding thing in this on this on this earth you know it really is and for me like it's it's I don't know what it is about podcasts, but you know, I remember being last year traveling around, and I was in Lake Bled. I don't know if you've ever been to Lake Mm. Bled in Slovenia. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world, right? And it's that famous image of that lake with the little church in the middle of the of the lake, and it's just absolutely stunning. And Mm. I and I really loved being there. But I went to that little island, and I went, and I remember getting a coffee and walking around and looking at the church but I wasn't alone there I was with you and Aoife more Grace Moore <laughs> and you were talking about Vicky Phelan Vicky Phelan yeah. had just passed away and we had had Vicky, Vicky on the cover of the magazine she was actually our first cover post lockdown and you know I've and you know speaking of the cancer journey and speaking of an amazing person who you know forged her own path and spoke out against mm. against you know ill will by the government and you know stood up for women you yeah. So there's so much affinity between you and Vicky really, you know. But I remember like crying, like sitting under that church in Lake Bled, like listening to you and Eva talking about, you know, giving your tribute tri- tribute to Vicky Feeling. And that's my overriding memory of being on this beautiful little island, right? It's 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 so strange how when you have something in your ears and yeah. it's a it's it's a podcast, it's it's something that becomes almost like part of your psyche, part of your memory. Yeah. Do, you, do, do
1: you know what I mean? Yeah, I do because I get that with podcasts that I listen to. Yeah.
0: And like that to me
1: is like such an honor to be part of that memory for you and to have been there with you. Um it's such a beautiful thing. I I absolutely love it. Yeah. And you know, I was listening listening to um louis louis through has a a new podcast series on spotify and he was interviewing amelia de moldenberg do you know her she does chicken shop date Mm. and she was talking about the fact that you know all she kind of wanted was to get into like linear media like you know television all that kind of stuff but actually you know, she has built something entirely on her own and she is totally in charge and that's yeah. incredible. And as you say, that doesn't mean that you're on your own. Like I have gotten incredible support and advice from like Blind Boy said to me about five years ago, what are you doing in order get out of there? Mm-hmm. Like he was like, you need to come over to ACAST who are the podcast network that mm-hmm. I'm with. He was like, I'll introduce you, I'll get you sorted. Um, uh, Mark Horgan, who is one of the people in charge of second captains, like the OG podcast pioneers in Ireland, as far as I'm concerned, like met me for a coffee after i left ortee and just it was it was a turning point for me because mm. he was so encouraging he gave me such good advice based on experience like you know people are willing to help you and support you you're not on your own yeah but you are owning your own space Absolutely. and it's magnificent it's
0: magnificent um i i need to meet blind boy because he has um tr- he has significantly impacted my life twice mm. um and obviously such a podcast king but um pa- when i was suffering burn i worked at Maxima media and i was you know working 13 14 hour days and i was mm. in a really bad place and it's why I, I i love that now because it's why i became a coach it's why i now have worked for myself for the last six years yeah. it's why i've gone out on my own and, yeah. and done all this solo thing but we had ironically a mental health talk for jodily and he was one of our headline speakers mm. and he stood up, and we were in Smock Alley, and I was in the front row, and he was there, and he was in his red shorts with a plastic bag, spar, spar plastic bag on his face, and he talked about how if you're passionate about something, and if you really want to do something, that to just get up and go and do it, yeah. and to not wait for anyone else, yeah. and to not allow procrastination to stop you, and it was like one of those moments where it's like. Mm -hmm. it's like the whole place went black and the spotlight shone on me Mm -hmm. and the next day i quit my job like literally and it was from that moment of him saying that and then the next time was when i was traveling solo around europe i just i was living in paris it was just the start of it and the war in ukraine broke out Mm -hmm. and i suddenly had a panic and i thought it was world war three and i was away from my family and i was on my own and i was like you know just scared and someone recommended blind boys podcast that he episode where he talked about the war in Ukraine and he talked about how to how to look after your mental health during that and he completely and utterly talked me off a ledge like I absolutely credit that to him and I credit me continuing on my journey to that right because and I signed up to his Patreon as a result. And I don't really listen to many of his episodes because I find them some a little bit out there. Mm. But every now and again, Blind Boy is right there when I need, yeah. him. <laughs> when I need him, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. That's the thing. Like I say, it's such a personal thing with yeah. the, when you have someone in your ear, literally, yeah. right? Whether it be on the radio or on the podcast they have an an ability to impact you and your thinking and, and you know you absolutely do that and and you know I love your podcast I love the contributors that you have on I love the the way in which you so passionately talk about things it comes across so well in terms of you know the the issues that we have in ireland that we face in ireland mm. today not just in ireland but worldwide as well yeah. and you know this is why i think so many people love your podcast because it is an opportunity to catch up on news that you might have missed during the week but it's also news with an opinion which we yeah. don't often get
1: and that's the joy of not working for the <laughs> national broadcaster <laughs> No, now not that i i don't think i ever did a very good job of hiding my opinions but that is the, the beauty of it you know Um, and thank you very much it's like really really nice of you to say that and I I genuinely really love it and I love meeting the people who listen and it's been such a beautiful thing and I still feel like I'm at the very beginning so you know I'm excited about what's still to come
0: yeah me too me too like you say there's so many more facets so many more things that you can do you know so many more podcast like this I'm a, a podcast baby this is you know my 11th episode I think um well you know um my 11th episode is going out today and I absolutely love it as well and it's just such a nice thing to be able to create yeah. something because at the end of the day we're all creators yeah and um, when we work in the world of media and we get pigeonholed often and we get told that we can only do one thing or another yeah. when we have as you say, an ability to be multi-hyphenate and to use our skills and our user, our, our ideas and create a platform for people to share their stories mm. and hopefully inspire other people to do that as well. Um, yeah. I feel like I need to get you back on at some point to talk about a million other things so we probably <laughs> ran over time and I just think you know it's been amazing to hear your journey and for you to be so honest um and you know continued success and thank you for being in my ear but being in millions of people's ears over the over the last few years and hopefully you will continue to be with the podcast you're on. thank you thank
1: you so much